Okay, so you have your work, uh, your sheets, faith and action sheets. Sheets. It's the fourth installment in our first track of four tracks, building a firm foundation in our faith. We started out with the word originally. Originally, God intended for us to have unfettered access to him through the creation account. I took you through that. Uh, I took you through that in a way that you've probably never been taught before, but the bottom line is, if we truly understand the creation account, we understand why we are created and we are created to worship him. Our original sin messed up his original plan. And we find ourselves now critically in need of worship. Last week, we talked sacrificially about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we might be born again. And today we're talking about, our title is facially. What does it mean to face God? Now, not all of these messages in this first um, series on building the firm foundation of our faith are what you would expect. Yes, I understand that. Um, I don't agree with what we just think are the basics of our faith. I think some very important things have been left out. And because they've been left out, our foundation isn't near as strong as it should be. This particular message is one of those things that I think gets left out early on in our walk. And as a result, we even don't even know that we're supposed to be walking in this or it loses its strength and potency over time. But this is one of the most crucial things that we can talk about as it pertains to growing in our faith the proper way. Uh, two men last week came right up here in this altar and gave their life to Jesus Christ. They were born again. I cannot think, amen. I cannot think of a more, follow, a more a pertinent follow-up message to that than this. So it's in that context I ask you to get your sheet out and uh, let's take a look at it. It goes like this. He or she who was born again not only has access to their new Lord, they have full access to his blessings. Think about that. To have access to the Father is to have access to his blessings. It's his nature to bless. This requires a new way of approaching life here on earth. I tend to make that case today. Many believers lack a full and necessary experiential understanding. Oftentimes we talk about understanding the basics of our faith, but understanding them and experientially understanding them are two different things. They're distinctly different things. One's an academic informational type thing, a doctrinal type issue, and the other is this is actually happening in my life. I can testify to it. The ex uh, experiential understanding of the power of blessing in our life. The transaction of blessing involves the face of God. So what's that all about? That's what we're going to talk about today. There's an Aaronic blessing that we're going to close our service with. I'm going to read it here to you now. Uh, and it says this. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on yours and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. What is this turn your face, shine your face, lift up your countenance? What does all this mean in the Old Testament? And I intend to show you that through a passage of scripture on the patriarch Jacob. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. And we're going to look at verses 22 uh, to about 30. Jacob is a patriarch in the Old Testament. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is a uh, deceiver. I have the best reputation. Uh, a supplanter, he's, uh, he'll use schemes if he's left alone, you know. He might con you out of a few things. He uh, kind of leans more towards a grifter. He's not proud of it, but it's basically how he acts. He kind of has his brother Esau chasing him. And uh, we pick up this, the narrative here. Verse 22. And he arose that night... 
and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. Okay, so he's being chased. He takes his family, he gets them across the river, he gets his belongings across the river, and he stays on the side all by himself. Also, you'll notice he's no longer really with Laban, who was a bad influence on him. He really is vulnerable now because if he gets attacked, he's got the river to his back. If being chased, he has really nowhere to go, and he's all alone. Um, it, it may not go well. And he says what the Bible calls a man, capital M. And uh, as you see in the Old Testament, every once in a while, we have these encounters with these strangers. Abraham had three visitors at his camp. Joshua saw the commander of the Lord's army. And now Jacob sees this man. Is this an angel? Is this um, Christ uh, incarnate? Before the incarnation? What is this? Uh, do we know for sure? I think we could probably say it's uh, anthropomorphism. That's what these uh, high dollar seminaries call this. It's uh, God in the flesh to make a point. And boys are going to make a point. So Jacob's standing there at the river all by himself, and he looks and he sees the man. Wow. Okay, so what happens? A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. That's a long night. On your handout, I ask you the question, uh, what does the Lord make his face shine on you mean? And what did Jacob have in mind and heart when he wrestled with God? That second question there, what did Jacob have in his mind and heart when he wrestled with God, is actually a trick question. Because Jacob did not wrestle with God. God wrestled with Jacob. And there's a distinct difference. Jacob was minding his own business, looking out for himself, standing there, trying to look unnoticed, and the man came up to him and wrestled with him. What meaneth this? If a man or God wrestles with us, it has a distinct intentional purpose behind it. God is not a recreational wrestler. If he's wrestling, it's to teach, to instruct, to leave the encounter different when the, than when the encounter began. Jacob does not wrestle with the man. The man wrestles with Jacob. And because he has a distinct purpose, He's initiating some sort of strategy here in this strange engagement. I do want to say this. A disciple is one who will disciple another, in my definition. What we're about to read about is discipleship. God wrestling with us. Okay? And the distinct purpose is maturity, sanctification, transformation, a change of heart and mind. The man wrestles with Jacob. Now, I know a little bit about wrestling. My best friend when I was 14 was a state champion wrestler. Wrestling is the most difficult sport there is. Without question, the practices are the hardest. The, 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 the amount of muscles you use when you wrestle is basically every muscle in your body. You'll be more exhausted after a wrestling match than you would after two basketball games. The locker room smells the worst after the wrestlers finish practicing. I can testify. Wrestling is the most difficult because the preparation is the most difficult. And not only is it most difficult, you have to stay a certain weight within ounces. It's ridiculous. But wrestling is extremely difficult. I kind of, I was brushing my teeth this morning, which is not unusual, but I had an unusual thought in the process. 
I can see uh, Jesus in Samaria at the well in John chapter 4. And the Samaritan woman comes to draw water. And they're at Jacob's well. And I, I can see Jesus going, oh, yeah, I know Jacob. I wrestled him. It was a serious match. I don't know if they still call it this nowadays, but back when I was a kid in high school, they called it grappling. Is that still a word you use? I don't know. You grapple. Well, they grappled together. And they grappled together all night long until the break of day. God always uses nighttime for a purpose. But mercies are new every morning. The nighttime that you find yourself engaged in from time to time, it lacks clarity, it's scary, can't see all you want to see. You might even get hurt. And it's exhausting. Whatever season that nighttime is in your life, God's mercies are new every morning. And they wrestled from the beginning of the night to the break of the day, to the break of dawn. Now, what do we make of this? Because this, to me, is strange. Verse 25, now when he, the man, saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched or struck the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let go, let me go, for the day breaks. This guy, uh, Jacob, is a real scrapper. Real scrappy. He holds on. Hour after hour after hour. He holds on hard. He holds on though he's injured. He holds on though he's semi-mobile. He holds on though he's in pain. That's what this guy does. He hung on. He hung on with an incredible, deter incredible determination. It's stubbornness. Uh, this, this deceiver, this, this guy, this grifter guy, when he got a hold of who he knew he had a hold of, and he knew something was going down, he would not, he locked on. He locked on. You say, how could anybody have that much strength for that long to lock on to the man who's wrestling him? Well, I ask you this. How is it that you and I, in our own stubbornness, hold on to dear life with what it is that we want, though it's contrary to God? Stubborn. Stubborn as a mule, this guy. Not unlike our habits, our way of thinking, our patterns, our defaults, even the things that become our identity we hold on to and won't let go of. I think we have more determination sometimes to hold on to the things that we have than Jacob had for one night. Some of us have been doing it for decades. He did it for eight hours. Some of us are still doing it and we'll do it for 10 more years. Ways of thinking, things that we say, ways of interacting, repeat behaviors, sin, addiction. Yes, we are a people that like to hold on. Next verse, but he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. There's no anger there? There's no animosity? There's like, no, I'm not letting go until you bless me. Here's a guy that's, something's being wrestled out of him. Something is being wrestled out of him. That's the purpose of the evening. Now, Christ could snap him like a twig. And there's enough power there. There's enough whatever you need to snap it in half about 30 seconds into the match. But God's power is calibrated. God only exerts the amount of power necessary to be more powerful than his son, Jacob. Uh, he whose the government is on his shoulders has a governor on his power. God, out of his grace and infinite mercy, only exerts what's necessary for the boy to learn. Only what is necessary to wrestle out of him what he needs out of him to be the patriarch he needs him to be. 
prophetically. God only exerts resistance and tension in a relationship to him to the extent that it's corrective and restorative and redemptive. He's not punitive. He was punitive to his son. He's not punitive to us. This is discipleship. If there is no tension, there may not be any growth. Uh, married couples, all, all the time you have a married couple, sometimes they'll come in, yes, we've been married for, for 85 years, and we've never had an argument. And I feel like saying, why are, you, why are you trying to fake each other out for eight and a half decades? Come on, you never got upset? Oh, are you kidding me? Who are you, Jesus? Like, there has to be tension. Wherever there's, you're passionate about something, there has to be tension. There has to be a, somewhere an offense, some wrongdoing, something. Something that has to be restored. Something. We can't just agree all the time, all the time. No, 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 no. There has to be tension. And God allows enough tension in this wrestling match to get the end that he wants. The match is really no match. But the match only goes on because God wants it to because Jacob's not yet ready. J Jacob, recognizing he was up against it, realized if he can do this to me and he can be superior to me and I can't talk my way out of this for an entire evening, then that's the one I want to bless me. That's the one I need to bless me. I need someone to bless me that's beyond me, stronger than I, wiser than I, more loving and merciful and gracious than I. Uh, if, if, uh, if Jacob was, was wrestling someone else for the whole evening, he would have tried to destroy them, conquer them. If you want the blessings of God in your life, listen to me, this is very important. You're not gonna hear this anywhere else. It's very important, listen, write it down. You live your life in a world that teaches you and conditions you to conquer this, conquer that, conquer this, conquer that. Even your own issues, you have to conquer on your own. Conquer other nations, defeat evil, conquer this, conquer that. And the Bible even says you're more than conquerors. But let me tell you something. You're not going to conquer anything until, until you yourself are conquered by God. That's the best sweet spot, the best place you could be. It's almost break of day. He's come to the realization he's so much more than I'll ever be. He's even held back what he could easily have done. He's been merciful and gracious to me, and I'm a deceiver. He's got me in the exact position I want. I can't let go of him. I let go of him, I'm back on my own self-sufficiency. I'm back on my own self-confidence. I'm back on my own self-schemes. I'm back on being Jacob again. I don't want to be Jacob again. If I let go of him, I'm going to be Jacob again. I'm going to leave this encounter Jacob again. He's even embarrassed to say it. We want a God who can conquer us and do so with the minimal strength necessary so as not to hurt us, but leave the encounter different than when we started it. We want God to wrestle with us. We don't want to wrestle with God. Now, I would say there's probably some area of your life that necessitates a wrestling match. Make sure you don't win it. You want to be conquered. To be blessed. See, once he's ready to surrender, to say, uncle, once he truly in his heart knows he ain't all that anymore, then he knows he's ready to be blessed. Let me say it another way. When he's prideful, he's got it all figured out, got all the answers, he's not ready to be blessed. Blessing that guy would be a problem. Blessing the guy who's conquered is a blessing. That guy's a blessing to everybody. He had to be conquered. You see, this is what doesn't get said, and this is what doesn't get practiced. These two men did something fairly difficult for a lot of people. 
They stood in front of a lot of total strangers and they gave their life to Christ and said, I want to be born again and he's going to be the Lord of my life. The only follow-up to that is a wrestling match. Are you going to continue to be the person who walked up here? Am I going to continue to be the person in 1987 that walked up to that aisle? Or am I going to become a different person? Am I going to have the same name, the same behavior, but I'm going to go around saying I'm born again? Or is there going to be a transformation in my life? The transformation is going to come through a wrestling match where you extend almost every bit of energy you can if necessary, and if you want to, be as stubborn as you want, but at the end of the day, you have to be conquered. Because once you're conquered, the blessings come. You're blessed to be a blessing. A fleshly, carnal Christian should not really expect the blessings of God. Couple reasons. You misrepresent the blesser. Your motivations have tendency to maybe be a bit selfish. Errant. I'm glad that's not who you are. God wrestles with you. You don't wrestle with him. And it's dawn. And he holds on, and he holds on, and he holds on. Verse 27, so he said to him, what is your name? God says to him, what is your name? He said, I can hear him saying it. I don't really want to say it, because once I say it, I have to acknowledge it. I'm Jacob. Oh, I'm the deceiver. I'm... I'm the one right now with a bit of shame in my total depletion of energy and exhaustion. I'm, I have to say it, I guess I am. Since you asked, I'm Jacob. <laughs> one definition in the Hebrew is, I am the layer, I lay down layers. I am the layer of snares. That's who I am. The good news is, If Jacob's really got this thing figured out, the reason he held on all night is because he realized when the sun come up, he's about that close to no longer being Jacob again. He's close to being a dead man. But he had to acknowledge his name because the name is everything. It says who you are. Yes, I'm Jacob, the layer of snares. And then Jacob... And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. We're going to call you Israel. The L, the last two letters, represent God. His name means God prevails. Prevails God. Your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. You have prevailed and gotten yourself, with God's help, God's calibrated governor of power, you have prevailed to the point you've come to the end of yourself. To be born again, if you just listen to the words, born again, it's a whole new life. It's a new thing. It's a whole new thing. So in no way, shape, or form should someone who's born again continue to be the same person they were born of water in the spirit. Not, not of the spirit, just water. No, you got the same shell, you got the same essence, but your spirit now is regenerated. It's like turned on. It's like boom. You're now receptive and you have access and we can wrestle now and I'm going to wrestle out of you the last remaining part of Jacob that's in you Pick up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow me. All things old to pass away, all things become new. This is the most foundational thing you can say to any human being after being born again. We're going to wrestle the stubborn pridefulness out of you, and God's going to calibrate his power to the point where if you just do what he says, he won't only be your savior. Here it is, here it is, here it is. You'll, he'll be your Lord. Lord. 
Said another way, you'll no longer be your own Lord. He'll be your Lord. And you might as well change your name because the one you had probably no longer fits. Dying to self. Our relationship with God is unhindered when we are conquered by him. And the conquering isn't a one-time thing. It could be often. It could be seldom. But whenever necessary. And then Jacob said, asking, tell me your name, I pray. He said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. We'd be here all day if he said his name. He's not the, the wrestler isn't the object here, Jacob is. When we're successful, when we are successful in life and love and marriage and the marketplace, it's because we're conquered by God. Because he rules and we don't. It, it really is. No, people don't want to hear that. But it's true in a personal level. It's true in a couple, true in a family, true in a community. It's true in a nation. I even hear churches. They don't mean to say it, but they keep saying it. Oh, we're a great church. We have a great history. Say that often enough, to one another often enough, and it puffs up. And Jacob's anything but puffed up. James 4 and 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. It's the submit to God thing. It's what our nation needs. It's what the church needs. It's what we as individuals need. An awe and a reverence and submission to God, recognizing that he, with his calibrated power, has defeated us, our sinful nature, and provided for us blessing after blessing after blessing. That, by the way, we don't deserve. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. The face to face doesn't have to mean literal. Can, but what it means is he saw God and God saw him. One knows the other and the other is known by the other. And there's nothing in between that clouds that vision. It's honest. It's unclouded. It's unfettered. It's real. It's transparent. The two of them, after eight hours of wrestling, saw each other for who they were and who they weren't. And it was real. It was the realest moment in his life. Real enough for him no longer to be Jacob. To no longer think the way he thinks. To no longer say the things he says to no longer want the things he wants, to no longer desire the things he desires, to no longer crave the things he craves. It was the beginning point. His ending of himself was the beginning of a new life. You can't just have a new life without coming to the end of the one you still have. That's why Christ died on the third day, rose again, face to face with God. The blessing of God flows in and through those who have tussled with God and lost. And when we allow God to weaken us, listen, when we allow God to weaken us in our weakness, he is strong. Our culture tells us do not be weak by any stretch of the imagination. And the Bible's Contrary to that, 180 degrees. His grace is sufficient. Verse 31, just as he crossed over Peniel into the, the sun, rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Warriors in Christ... Those who love the most walk with a limp. Preachers should walk with a limp, spiritually speaking. The priesthood of believers should walk with a limp. 
Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He walked with a limp. What am I saying? A reminder that we ain't all that we think we are, that we have a dependence in our life upon he who maybe wrangled that hip out of socket. To be reminded, if we're not reminded, we don't have empathy. If we don't remind her, we don't have compassion. You see, if we don't have a limp, if we're not able to humbly look at our own selves, our need for correction, if we're not, if we're not, uh, if we're not open to correction, a wise man's open to correction, the proverb says, if we're not open to rebuke, if we're not open to, to, to challenges, if we're not open to those things, if we don't have a limp, if we're not humble, if we're not teachable, then we're on our high horse. And people on their high horse don't get blessed. Jesus entered into the city on a donkey. We need to walk with a limp and ride a donkey. An unseen reminder that we have been in a match with God and God won. Praise God, He won. To this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank. Whew. Two kinds of people in this world, those who want trophies and those with atrophy. That muscle, so weakened, could no longer hold that hip together. It shrunk. It shrunk. It was no use to him. It shrunk, it, it was depleted, it was done. That's the picture right there. Our sin nature has to atrophy. It has to become weaker, lethargic, unwanting. Unner it's not a, it can't be unnerving, it can't be influential, it can't overpower us. Our cravings, our lust of the flesh, they can't, they can't be strong trophies of carnality. We need a spiritual atrophy of our own sin nature that says, I no longer want to do that. I no longer want anything to do with that. I no longer want anything to do with that because it gets in the way of the one who wrestles me every day. Something has to wither. Something has to die. Something has to shrink. That's discipleship. It's many other things, but it's that as well. Dying to self. A new life in Christ, we limp into it. A little smaller than we were when we started. Hoping, praying, some part of our nature shrivels up and dies. There's only so much room in you. There really is. There's only so much room. Now, there happens to be more room in me than most of you. But if we don't make room, if something doesn't shrink, if some attitude doesn't die, if, if some, some force in our life, something in the past, some memory, some trauma, if it doesn't eventually shrink and atrophy, atrophies, nothing can replace it. Everything you focus on in life enlarges. When you come to Christ and he wrestles you come morning, when the sun lights upon you, he becomes the object of your affection. You limp your way to him in worship every day. I'm here, Lord, to worship you, to worship you. And you're, something in you is shrinking. And he has room to fill you with the power of the Holy Ghost. Stay full. He'll become a joke. The church will become a joke in your own mind. Going to church will be a joke. The leaders of the church will be a joke. And everything that comes up of every mistake that every Christian makes will be the, the, the linchpin on which you put all of your rationalization that it wasn't real. And you're as full as you can possibly be. Strong as you can possibly be. And so far from God's wrestling match, you couldn't be any further. Something has to shrink. And notice this. It's the largest joint in his body. is separated. And he still won't let go. 
If there's, if there's a spiritual socket in a man or a woman that's born again in Jesus Christ, the only, only reason it would be a socket is to turn 180 degrees in a different direction. To need a shoulder to lean on, to walk. To have Christ pick you up and carry you through some of the most difficult times of your life. Man, this is discipleship. This is what it's all about. This, you can't gather large crowds with this. But you can fill stadiums with 25,000 people in multiple services by telling them that the greatest thing never happened. Just have a good attitude. Go out there and get them. I'm your biggest cheerleader. And not one soul shrinking. Not one. They're only getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger in what? In themselves. The word wrestling comes up in sixth chapter of, uh, of Ephesians, in spiritual warfare. In Greek, the word is agon. It's where we get the word agony. I think it fits for Jacob. He wrestled with God. And his agony brought him to the morning. And he found out who it was that was wrestling with him, the power he had, the love he had, the restraint that he had, the grace that he had, not to give him what he deserved. Oh, my goodness. God's ways are not our ways. He wrestles out of us our pride and self-sufficiency. In their absence, he fills the expanse. He started creation that way. I told you that. He creates an expanse of water. Then he fills it with fish. He creates an expanse of sky. Fills it with stars and lights. Fills the earth and creates the whole earth. and Fills it with animals and man. God does well with clean slates. Empty Empty slates. Let him finish your life. Die to self. How would you react to a message like this? Well, I'd probably have to listen to it the second time and figure out what I was saying, number one. Number two, which is the intent, by the way, I'm giving you more on a Sunday morning than you can digest. I know that. I'm trying to force you into slowing yourself down and getting in the word. That's a tall order when I can't even get you to bring a Bible to church. Something has to die. There's a passage that Jesus, he includes in his first sermon. Pay attention to that. Talks about blessing. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I can see his leg hanging off on the side. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. <laughs> Man, the persistence is incredible. Think about the condition that Jacob was in. His exhaustion, his depletion, his, his now fairly significant injury that in need of the emergency room. Think of his heart, think of his attitude, think of his, his despair, think of his exhaustion. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who allowed God to wrestle with them and came out of the encounter less than when they started. Blessed, the blessing rests upon those who are poor in spirit. The blessing rests upon those who are self-aware and have a conviction and sensitivity to their own sin. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn what? The old life. The old way. Maybe even the old friends. Notice he was by himself. The old playmates and the old playgrounds. The old pride. The old irreverent sense of humor. Blessed are those who mourn and blessed are those who are meek. You know what meek is? Power under control. God is the meekest wrestler ever. 
His power was so drawn back, dialed back, calibrated back, that that's meekness. God treated this strong, brazen, prideful schemer with meekness. And, and Jacob had no blessing to speak of. There's nothing in his life that reeked and seeped and marinated a blessing. It was, it was tragic until he became Israel. Meekness. We sang it this morning. Kindness leads us to repentance. That's where the blessing is. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I know that guy was hungry. I know he was thirsty. What's the point here? Jesus in his first sermon has given us a picture of someone who is fairly close to death. And if you want to know what that looks like, feels like, go to Matthew 4. It happened just before the sermon. 40 days tempted in the desert. That's where the blessing comes. That's where the blessing is. Blessed are the merciful. That man has to be merciful now. He has a limp. He can't lord himself over other people because he sees his own imperfection. He's totally self-aware of his inadequacy apart from God. How can he get on a high horse and judge anybody else? How can he not be merciful? There's your blessing, Jacob. Blessed are the pure in heart. His heart was so after so many different things until the sun started coming up over the Judean wilderness. And all of a sudden his heart was after one thing and there's that one thing he wouldn't let go of. It was pure in heart. Pure in heart means focused. Blessed are the peacemakers. Boy, won't he have opportunities to do that. To reconcile himself to other people. To forgive. Maybe even to be forgiven. There's your blessing. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. I write an article every now and again for um, one of the newspapers here in town and all the other ministers do as well. And uh, the pit newspaper extended an invitation to, um, to the head of a synagogue here. And um, extended this opportunity for that uh, synagogue leader, that rabbi, to, to write an article. To which he later wrote back and said, thank you so much. But to be honest with you, uh, with the recent declaration of the day of hate towards Jews in the United States, we've upped our security. And to be honest with you, I'd, for right now, I'd rather not just heighten our exposure in the community. <laughs> I thought, is this where we're heading? I hear you, man. Probably not far behind. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Here's your question, your homework. What is it that I need God to wrestle out of my life? Now, listen, God wrestling something out of your life is not you saying, okay, I'm done with that. Starting today, when I wake up in the morning at nine o'clock, I'm done. Where's the wrestling? I missed the match. I missed the pin, the three-second pin. I missed throwing you out of the ring. Where's the, where's the tussle? No. You, you, you throw everything on the other side of the river. You throw everything that you're so enamored with away. You stand there by yourself and you go, okay, Lord, let's wrestle. You wrestle me. Wrestle out of me this thing. I, over the next 90 days, please wrestle this out of me. Don't let me let go. Let me look at you face to face. But let's get this out of me. Not me telling me that I'm going to do it. Where's God in that? That's not even a match. I'm not going to do this anymore. Starting effective immediately, I'm not doing it. Come on. Even if you stopped, I wouldn't like that. I'd rather have God wrestle it out of me. It doesn't have to be the most tragic thing that's happened in your life. It can be a loving, gentle, gracious process, but the end result is far better. When God's strong, 
and we're conquered. Our sin is conquered. Amen? I can't even tell if you're paying attention anymore. All right, we'll close this down here. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord bless you and hold on to you. Throughout the night, when you're most scared, when it's most tragic, when you're most afraid, when you're most destitute, when you don't have anything, when you lack, let them hold on to you. Let them keep you, tend to you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Let him pull back the power that he really could place upon us because he wants us to want the change, not him just to punitively bring it about. Be gracious. Give us access that we can look at you and in all honesty, worship you in spirit and in truth. And the Lord turned his face towards you and give you peace. Grace always precedes peace, always. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. I don't, you have a name written on your forehead. I don't know if you're aware of it or not. It says in Re- Revelation, I have no idea what it is. But I don't think it's your original name. Something that has a newness to it and a freshness and a holiness, a purpose. So how does this all work? Well, half of it's a mystery. We talk like we know what we're talking about, but in the end, it's beyond description, really. It's absurd to take up some of these topics and actually think that you can actually explain them. I just know that they are. The Bible calls this meal a profound mystery. Got that one right. I'll tell you what you do, Pastor. You stand up in front of the people and just pour this juice in this cup, say a few things, wave your hands around, have them come up and eat some wafer and stick it in there. No, no, sorry, friend. This is a profound mystery. You are where you are. You're dealing with what you're dealing with. Some of it is incredibly intense. Some of it is not. Regardless of each, there's a nighttime for all of us. And it's in the nighttime that the Lord embraces us and gets us through the day, where His mercies are new every morning. That's all I know. I also know this, that you can be so weighted down with sin and anxiety and fear and your own flesh and your own carnal behavior and the old woman and the old man in you that's hanging on for dear life. Please don't see me down here in the crawl space of your soul. I'm just hiding behind this post hoping you never see me. And Christ says, you know, come on. We need some atrophy. Freedom. Freedom. Well, the freedom comes through the broken body of Jesus Christ. I'm going to sit here for an hour and a half and try to explain that to you. I wouldn't be any closer to you understanding that than after the hour was up. I know it comes through the blood of the Lamb that has a profound, (laughs) glorious strength and power to it that's unprecedented, nothing like it. I know that if you come up here and you take that wafer as the broken body of Jesus Christ and you know you're a sinner and you mourn over that, I know that if you put it in that blood and eat it, I know your sins are forgiven. They already were, but I know you leave this place cleaner than you realized when you came in. And out of respect for the meal, I'll not over-explain it. It's a profound mystery, but it's rooted in your Lord and my Lord dying on a cross. So if the communicants would come forward, please. That's what we're going to do. We're going to enter into the profound, mysterious transaction that happens when someone says, that's the God I want to conquer me. I want his broken body and his blood. 
For those of you who were saved last week, you're born again. It's probably your first communion. I encourage you not to figure it all out, nor attempt to. I, I encourage you to rest in the meal itself, that it is your sustenance, and without it, you'll never be who God called you to be. I'll tell you this, the new man in you is hungry for this meal. The old man could care less. Bring the new man up here to enjoy the meal. Let's pray. Bring the new man. Feed the new man at this meal, Lord. Feed the new man and the new woman. Strengthen us. May we see you face to face. Make room for the power of your spirit, your counsel. Do something mysterious here. Beyond our ability to control, manipulate, or understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So in each of these sections, if you would, just come to the gentlemen that are in front of you. Take the broken body of Jesus Christ and dip it in the cup. On the night our Lord was betrayed, took the bread, he broke it, blessed it, gave it to them, said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink ye all of it. Let's come with humility, amen?